Hello, Maverick fans. Welcome to another edition of the Mav Puck Cast. Thank you for tuning in. We are almost done with this season. We <laughs> we are almost. Uh, we we think we're almost done. We uh, we don't think it's gonna. Well, we don't know how much longer it's gonna go on, but the season is winding down. We see the end of the tunnel. Yes, the, the light is We inside. may actually be there. We don't know. That'll be the topic of conversation <laughs> later on. Yes. But first, this team we haven't seen too frequently, I guess, right? You know, some Denver Pios or whatever. And, you know, God. we actually had a nice, nice amount of success against them during the regular season this year. Something that had, that had not happened the past few seasons. It was nice to see. It was nice for the team to kind of get that monkey off their back. And then the playoffs I, rolled around. <laughs> I think we have to talk going into this because I think, I mean, based on our conversations, I have a feeling that you, you kind of think the same thing that I think, which is the news had come out, what was it, uh, earlier this week. I can't remember, was it Tuesday or something, that, that Denver was going to be there. But because of COVID protocols and contact tracing, they were skating with like 18. Yeah, it was a it was a reduced number of players. What was it, like 16, 18? I think I think the game when the game rolled around against us, they had it was they had 16 skaters during 16 the game. 16 skaters, right. Which is you know barely enough skaters. Right. To field and three lines, you know, it's you got basically what three lines, right? Yeah, and I I got the I I bring it up because I have a feeling that that news kind of got into the guys' heads a little bit. So yeah, we start the game. What's your thoughts on that that first period when the guys come out out of the gate there? You know, I actually thought we looked pretty good that first period to be perfectly honest with you i i wasn't particularly worried at that point i thought eh we look all right we look good it was a fast game teams were zipping up and down the ice i thought you know eventually my 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 gut instinct was that as the game wore on our superior depth and when i say superior depth i'm not saying that we have you know on a player-by-player basis, superior players. I'm sure that they have more draft picks than we do at this point in time. All I'm saying is that we have a lot of depth. We've got a lot of talented players top to bottom from first line to fourth line. And I just thought to myself, we're going to wear them out by the time the third period rolls around. Yeah, I don't... I was not impressed with the guys out of the gate. I thought that... Their passing was off. Their flow was weird. Their their assignments were... There was a lot of misreads and stuff out there. Um, going to the wrong place and stuff. We just weren't generating chances that we needed to. But that, that it all, didn't concern all, me right. because... Yeah, it was... Because you expected it, right? It like, was Denver's early. sitting here going, we're shorthanded. We know we're shorthanded. We have to anticipate, like, your goal is... if. Coaching, you know, DU in this situation, I would be worried about our capability as as Denver, you know, with a limited roster to 
to come back in a close game or to find a goal late, you know, something that like, I want to lead going into the third. I want to be ahead with some, some comfort room. So let's go all out right out of the get go, try to catch the other team off guard and, and get a big lead to begin. And that's what I, so that's what I expected from Denver. And I, I, that's what I thought we got. Um, and they get on the board first, and I'm thinking that's that's what I expect. What we need to do is answer back, and luckily we did. Uh, Smallinch gets a goal from Sullivan, and then like a minute later, you've got Miller from Abate and Randall, and I'm thinking that's it. Like we yeah we, we weathered the storm. We've got the lead out of the first. I'm feeling pretty good about even though our play wasn't great in the first that we're you know we're in a good position. And hopefully at that point in time, I was thinking that we'd start to stem the tide. Like we'd start to pick up the play. Right, exactly. And I know you mentioned out of the gate that the team didn't look that great. And that didn't bother me because obviously this is the first the first game of the conference playoffs. You're you're on the road. Obviously, they had just played at North Dakota the weekend before. So and it's a place that they've, you know, the last month have been very familiar with because they played a two-game series there. And they played a, a single game uh, to end the season up at, at North Dakota against uh, the Fighting Hawks. So I wasn't worried about it. You know, a little bit of that out of the gate wasn't bad. It was a little bit of a concern when Denver got the first goal because the day before, Colorado College, who was the other team in the NCHC that was hampered by COVID as far as players went, they got the first goal against St. Cloud State, who was the number two seed, and they gave St. Cloud State all that they could handle for three periods. So I was a little bit worried, but when Smallage and Miller got those two goals toward the end of the first period, I was feeling good that we were up two to one. Obviously, that's not an insurmountable lead bite, but I thought this is good. Going into the second period, we've got the momentum at our backs. We've got the, we've got the wind at our backs. I thought if this team gets one more goal, I'm thinking that's probably going to be it. Our our depth our depth will wear them down. They won't because when you when you have to play coming back from a deficit like that, it just I think psychologically and physically it just takes a lot more out of you trying to come back from being down as opposed to playing you know kind of a an even score game down the stretch. Yeah, I still think our play was lackluster in the second. Okay. You Jason, know, Jason I, was not, and I remember Jason texting me, Jason was not happy with their play. And certainly we have seen better performances. Uh, this team has had its moments where it's looked like a well-oiled machine. It's also had some games uh, toward the end of the season, regular season in particular, where passing was off. It wasn't that tape-to-tape kind of passing that that the, the best UNO teams that we've seen the past decade or so have presented. So, And I... I said this in the last podcast, Denver has more more to gain from this game than UNO does. Right. And so I just felt like you can't, like a one-goal game, you can't let them hang around. And even when when Weiss gets his goal in the second period, right right after that, I'm like, I, I still don't, I don't know that two's enough. And then Bobby Brink scores for Denver, and we end the second. We're still only up three to two, and I'm like, it's not, it's not enough. <laughs> like, right, a one goal lead is too. As I was as I was mentioning earlier, a one goal lead is too for close for comfort, because it's the psychological game. When you're down by two goals, it just it it's it's a lot more. You have to you have to give a lot more to try and make a comeback. 
and you've got that hurdle of getting two goals. When it's one goal, you know that any kind of, you know, odd bounce, you know, weird neutral zone turnover, and that game can be tied up. So, yep. Yeah, which which is what happened. I mean, you gave you gave Denver a power play. You gave them yep. some space and some opportunity on a team that's tired, and they get they get the goal. And I think the story of this year has been penalties. Right. Like our penalty kill saved our bacon in in the pod, yep. you know, towards the end of the pod. And then through the first half of the season, I mean, we had that amazing streak of penalty kills and stuff. And you knew that eventually that was going to come back to bite you in the last few games against North Dakota and then this game too. I mean, Denver goes two for five. Like, you just can't – don't give them a chance. Like, stop giving them an opportunity to get back into this game. Well, You're up. Play yeah. five to five. Make them skate 200. If you've got nothing, dump it in. Don't reach. Don't clutch. Don't grab. Don't stick check. Like, play the body. Like, it's it's absolutely it's straightforward. And well, and you look at I mean, you you talk about the uh, you talk about the the special teams play, the penalty kill streak that they had. Ultimately, that was one of those things where you were kind of worried when that penalty the the PK streak ended because you're like. Once it ends, is are the floodgates going to open? Because when you have that streak going, it becomes one of those things where the guys play a, a little bit harder. They block a few more shots each game. It's one of those things where they do everything in their power to try to keep that streak going. And then once the streak ends, which I I believe it it ended um, at home against uh, North Dakota a month and a half or so ago, I, I believe that that's where it ended. Then when that happened, you wondered. And the, the penalty kill's still been good. But it hasn't been as good when they had that streak going on or in the early right. parts of the season. So, so yeah, you, you don't want to give them those opportunities. Uh, you know, in this game, you had, you know, the, you had a, a five-minute five major for UNO, uh, which caused uh, one of, uh, was that Tua Misto or was that who uh, was ejected yeah. for Denver? I think it was. And then we turned around and got a five-minute and uh, – and uh, and now his name's escaping me because it's late and we're talking about this late at Sunberg. night. Sunberg. Sunberg, yes. Martin Sunberg yeah. was uh, was I. It, that was the that was the call that fans were debating back and forth whether it was contact to the head or not. I think you thought it was contact to the head. I will say that I still thought you know it was kind of a shoulder to shoulder hit. I don't know that the head was ever hit. This is I'm just basing this on the you know the replay that I saw on the feed. So, but regardless, regardless, they had already given, they had already tossed to Amisto. So as far you, as you, I yes. was concerned, yeah. if it was anywhere near, I mean, if you, they, they were going to do the makeup glancing, call. It was, yeah. It it's, was totally going to be the makeup call. Especially when you're playing a team with a roster that is that limited. And I, like I said, yeah. I, I think they had 16 skaters. I could be confusing that with Colorado college, but regardless, they did not have the full roster playing still a number of talented players on Denver, probably more than Colorado College had to use. So plenty of yeah. firepower, plenty of defensive t uh, power, and then Cronin and goal is a terrific goaltender in this conference. But yes, yes, I was hoping that it's... we could hold that 3-0 lead, but we didn't hold that 3-0 lead in the third. The 3-1 lead? Or excuse me, 3-3-1 lead, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, well, because they, the, they get the power play goal late, so you're going into the third down... You're only up one going into the third. Yep. 
And then 42 seconds in is when Benning gets his gets his goal, and it's like suddenly you've got most of the third, and you're at a level game with a team, and wondering like, are they really that tired? And here's the deal: we talked to, um, I think it was in our group chat and stuff. I had said, you know, sometimes it's not actually depending on who it is, it's not actually a detriment to have a limited bench. Right. And I think that's what we had. Like the guys that were missing were not really the the top end talents. And so what you ended up with is you you ended up with their key guys out there over and over and over and over again. Right. You know, Oshevsky. Um I think he ends up with a couple points in the night, right? Because he's he's practically every other shift. Well, and you can't discount too that this team had a weekend off. Whereas UNO was traveling to North Dakota. These guys had the weekend off, and and like we've talked about on the podcast, sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing to have that weekend off, but they knew who they were going to be playing, they knew that they were going to be playing us, and um, they had time to prepare, and uh, they were also very kind of coy and very careful about who was or who wasn't going to be playing on their roster, so that kind of gave them some sort of a little psychological advantage, and, and I think it's possible UNO was kind of looking past du in this game right. that's not to take anything away from uno they played hard and they played well and if you look at the last two minutes of the third period and i actually went back and watched this uh, to uh, uh to see if my uh recollection was right and it was um you know we basically controlled the puck in our own zone with uh isaiah seville pulled for the final two minutes of the game and we had you know three or four grade A opportunities. They just didn't go down. Unfortunately, we were in that position at the end of the game. And if one of those drops, we might be having a very different conversation right now. But ultimately, Denver, and give them give them all the credit here, they came out as the lower seed, hamstrung by a, a, a short bench, and they got the win against us. They they were the upset special. That was not the upset special that Jason and I were thinking was going to happen in the first round of the CCHA playoffs. We thought it was going to be Western over UMD. And I know Dave Starman expressed sentiments that were similar to that on uh, one of the Midco broadcasts that I watched. But, you know, give them credit. They end up uh, coming out of the game with a 5-4 to four victory. Yeah, it's a heartbreaker for... For UNO, right? Like you had a chance to to get out of that first round, the quarterfinals, for the first time, and you know do it against a team that's been your nemesis. Yep. And, you know, ultimately it comes down to they didn't get the job done. Like, no. They they played hard. They they had a great season. Uh, you know, you look back on this, and and as a coach, I have to say, like the the opportunity was there. You. Yeah didn't take advantage of it right yeah it's uh, we've talked about this team one of the the narratives that's developed over the past decade or so with the team and then you know i i know it seems like it's a uh, indicative of one coach or another but one of the things is is our struggles in you know late february and early march for this team and obviously we finished the season with four straight games against north dakota so nobody's looking at that uh, especially against the incarnation of uh, North Dakota that exists this season and are, are expecting um, that we're going to, you know, run the tables against North Dakota to end of the season. But, um, you know, there was some question as, as to whether UNO was playing their best hockey going into 
the NCHC playoffs. And that's that's been a question in, in recent years. And, and I don't know the case. I felt like they had an opportunity against Denver. Uh, they didn't get it done. If this had been a home series at Baxter Arena like it would have been during a normal season, I think that they would have won two of three against Denver. Uh, but you never know. And that was not the format, and that was not the circumstances that they were playing under. It was a disappointing loss. I, I was really hopeful that they would break through and uh, uh, get uh, get a win and move on to the uh, the quote-unquote frozen face-off this year with the final four teams in the conference tournament. That didn't happen. Denver wins, and then all hell breaks loose on Twitter regarding our chances for the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Which we will get to in just a minute after we pick the players of the game. Okay. Yep, we got to do that. We got to we got to get our guys in. I'm. Well, this is an interesting one. I. Uh... I don't know that there's an easy pick here. There's there's, boy, there's definitely not an easy pick here. Um, obviously, it'd be very easy to pick one of the goal scorers, uh, Jason Smallage, getting that first. First goal for UNO to tie it up in the first uh, first period was was very important. Um, Tyler Weiss, a player we probably talk about more than we should on the podcast, uh, he gets the second one, and Nate Konepke got. Uh, uh, am I missing a goal here? Oh, yeah, Matt Miller gets the Miller. second goal. Tyler Weiss gets the third. Nate Konepke uh, uh, gets our fourth goal in the there's, uh, in the third period. There's a lot there's of no players with two points. No, there's no players with two points. <laughs> Looking down the assists, it was definitely a it was definitely a nice mix of players, and this is a this is a tough one. I you know, I'm gonna go. I think uh, I think we'll go with. Uh, this is where I think we're gonna go with Nate Konepke, in the latter half of the third period, getting the uh, tying goal at that point in the game. Du was up. Four to three at that point. I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. I was really worried that if DU at that point got another goal, it would be five to three, and that would be it for the Mavs. But he did get the tying goal. So the last, you know, seven minutes, it looked like UNO could try to hold on, maybe take it to the overtime period, which would be a full 20 minute overtime period. Unfortunately, you know, about a minute and a half or so later, DU gets the game-winning goal. But I'm going to go with Nate Konepke because he's a guy we don't talk a lot about on the podcast, but he's a player that uh, has really been an important, a transfer player from Minnesota, and we've talked about the players that we've gotten from the transfer portal in recent recent years. And he's a player, again, we don't know if he'll come back or not, but if uh, some of these uh, seniors opt to come back, which they can do because of COVID, uh, he would be a nice uh, blue liner to see back in the lineup. So uh, I'll go with Nate Konepke, a guy who's, uh, again, somebody that we don't talk about a lot on this podcast, but... I'll go with him. I could have gone with a guy that didn't really show up on the stat sheet, but uh, that's who I'll go with. I I can see where you're coming through there, yeah. I think since it's since it could be my last time this season being able to pick him, I'm going to pick Weiss. Okay. Partly because of that. <laughs> partly because I really feel like especially in the the first and second period when I felt the team was struggling, you know, he was doing what we needed him to do 
what we would expect him to do. He uses his skills, his hands, and his skating ability to create space and opportunities. Right. For the other guys on his line, you know. And his goal in the second period was, it was nice to see. Usually I would expect that to go the other way, you know, Weiss to Ward. But, you know, we need him to be able to shoot when when he has a clear opportunity like that, you know, when it is right. the best play. And he's starting to recognize that. And that's, I think, what gives me a lot of excitement for the future, uh, provided he stays, you know, as one of the kids that's a draft pick and a junior, you always question, you know, will he go or will he stay kind of thing? Because it's usually the, the year that they make a decision if they're going to see it all the way through. Well, and let me let me let me address that because I was actually going back and reading articles. Uh, this was a few weeks ago on Tyler Weiss. This was back a few years ago when he had, uh, uh, you know, decommitted from uh, Boston University, Boston. and uh, this was right around the time of the draft when he was picked by the Avalanche, and and we found out that he was coming to UNO. And one of the things that he said in one of the uh, one of the articles I read was that. Um, the Colorado Avalanche had him on a three-year plan. Now, I don't know if that plan has changed, but this is the third year. So we don't know what will happen. And And the commentators in, in our uh, game broadcast uh, in this uh, playoff game versus DU had mentioned something about, uh, and maybe you picked up on this or not, so I, I don't want to delve too much into it because I, I can't remember exactly what they said. Five minutes later, I'm like, what exactly did he say? But he was talking about some of the undrafted players and the opportunity for the uh, NHL here after the collegiate season's over. And he mentioned in particular Primo and uh, Brandon Scanlon, who were two undrafted players on the UNO roster, and there might be an opportunity for them in the NHL. And I'm like, wait, dude, what are you talking about? We do not want to... <laughs> I do not want to lose. I do not want to lose Primo or Scanny at this juncture. And maybe you remember what they said about that. I can't remember. Um, yeah, I mean, they were talking about they were talking about guys that develop later. You know, there's there's yeah. some guys like like Weiss that at a young age, scouts and stuff recognize that he had potential. Right. right? And he's drafted where he is the year that he's drafted because they see something there that could be developed, right? Right. And you always try to, like, as a scout, anticipate where they will be and how that development's going to go. And so they looked at him and thought a three-year plan probably puts him to where Yes, exactly. Whereas, you know, someone like, Primu, uh, who else did you say? Scanlon. You know, those are guys that when they played in in junior hockey or USHL, you know, wherever they were before before coming to college, um, those are those are guys that just they didn't they didn't look like they had it right, and so you you can only pick so many players, and and you know this is their opportunity to say you know, we can do it. Now, both of those players, I would say, I don't know that there's enough of a resume for, for a league to take a flyer on them. No. And it's, and, and to use an example from UNO's past, um, there was a player who played for UNO, a very talented forward by the name of Bill Thomas, who ultimately ended up in the NHL. Um, and he came to UNO 
was paired with Scott Parse on a line. They both did fantastically. They both played for the Tri-City Storm in the USHL and juniors. And what was interesting about the Bill Thomas story was, like Scott Parse, um, or maybe Scott Parse had been drafted, the years start yeah, to fade. Yeah, he was drafted but, by L.A. Okay, yeah, he was drafted by the uh, he was drafted by the Los Angeles Kings. So, um, but Bill Thomas was not. And Correct. the two seasons that he played with UNO, quite honestly, there was some question whether he was the more talented forward than Scott Parse. Ultimately, because he wasn't drafted, he ended up leaving in the hours following UNO's first NCAA tournament appearance in 2006 against Boston University in Worcester, Massachusetts. The Coyotes organization, which uh, at that point uh, uh, Wayne Gretzky was uh, involved with, uh, ended up picking him up. So I was standing on a beach in Rhode Island uh, after that uh, regional at Worcester, and I got a phone call that he had uh, left to go play professional hockey. Now, what's interesting about this is that I knew before that game against BU that he was going to go play, or at least I had an inkling, because at the pregame party beforehand, there were a number of the player parents there, including Bill Thomas's father, who was an incredibly friendly individual, and he had always said hi to Bridget and I at games, and we were sitting there at that uh, that pregame party, and he comes up to me, and he's like, John, I just want to tell you, it's been really nice <laughs> getting to know you over the last couple of seasons, and I'm like, wow, this is like a farewell speech, and I'm like, well, I guess that means he's gone. And that kind of stuff drives me nuts because that can prove, and some of the other players were there and they were just kind of like giving me looks. The player parents were there and they were giving me looks. And I'm like, that's that's just got to be, you know, especially for UNO, a team that's not loaded with draft picks. That's got to be something that's just kind of a uh, a distraction for a team going into uh, an NCAA tournament game. And ultimately we lost nine to two and we'll never know if, if that kind of stuff had a, had an, an inkling on it. But yeah, when you mentioned Tyler right. Reese there, will he be back? I think he'll probably be back, but you know, you never know. You never know with COVID and everything that's gone on, what these guys, what opportunities they might have, what they might be thinking that they might like to do, what the organization wants to do. Yeah. You know, the contact rules are still the same. So they're not discussing it with player agents or anything like that. So, you know, ultimately it comes down to the player deciding, you know, what is the best case for me? You know, a player to use Weiss as an example, you know, you, you just finished your, your junior year, you've made progression. So you're going to sit there and say, where do I fit in with the abs organization right now? Because if they sign me, where do they send me? And Wherever I expect them, you know, it, it, looking at this, I'm trying to do this in, in a way that I, because I know I get in trouble if I seem like I'm suggesting things. So I'm trying not to, but you know, if he looks and says, I'm going to go to this team for the, you know, in the abs depth organization, you know, if, if that's the AHL or the ECHL or, um, or whatever, you know, will I, will I get what I need to develop to, to reach my goals there? Or will I stand a better chance staying in college hockey and, and playing another year there? Because a lot of kids make the wrong decision. I, I yep. see it. We see it all the time. With, yep. You usually see it with clubs like DU and North Dakota that have a lot more draft picks. That they leave early thinking, we just had a good season. I'm going to you know, I'm gonna go tear it up in the AHL and I'll be in the NHL within a year, right? Right. And what they find is, is that 
the caliber of of talent and stuff is so much higher that yeah you're gonna your learning curve is going to be steeper because you're playing against better players but at the same point in time your opportunities to prove yourself are less right and you end up with these guys that just are are ahl journeymen that were you know second round draft picks and stuff because they just don't get the playing time that they need that they would have gotten if they'd gone back to college I know. And I always get worried this time of year because of things like family advisors and other stuff. And I just, you know, it's when you, again, I didn't play hockey as a kid, but you know, these guys dream of playing professional hockey from the time they're little, they're just little kids out there on the ice learning to skate. And so, so I get nervous, but, but we will, we'll just, we'll just, we we won't pile on to the disappointing loss to Denver and, and worry about whether, Jason's uh, player of the game is uh, going to come back or not. We're going we're gonna to hope it. any of them. I mean, <laughs> Seville, like we've, we've picked him in the past. Yeah. He's another guy that, you know, do the, do the Knights need a goal, a depth goaltender? Right. And is he going to get the refs? You know, it, he's a classic example. Like, am I better off being the starter at UNO or the backup for, you know, an ECHL team or the starter for an ECHL team or the backup for an AHL team. Right. Like, where do you really fit in that organization? You've got to look at their depth and say, you know, where, where would I go? Because I can't reach out to the team and say, Hey, you know, if I sign, where are you going to put me? That's against the rules. So, you know, they're not going to do that. And, you know, it's funny because I, I've got friends that are scouts that I've, I've talked to in the past and, I said, you know, just taking your temperature, right? Like, in general speaking, I, I'm sure there's exceptions to every rule, but generally speaking, if a college kid was allowed to come up to you and say, would it be better to go back for my senior season or come play for, you know, a minor league club? And he said, almost to a T, they all said, well over most, well over the majority of the time that they would recommend that they go back to college. Because they get the playing time, they get the reps. Even though the talent isn't as high, um, there's no substitute for having the puck on your stick. That's what one of them told me, and it's right. like that's true. Like you got to just say, "Where's my best opportunity?" And it's going to be different for each player. And I don't fault them for making a decision to leave. It, you know, it sucks. I'd like to see the kids, every kid, st- stick it out here for four years and, and be seniors and see what we can do, but realistically they're going to say this is the best opportunity for me and good for them yeah i'm not a big pro hockey guy so i'd rather they stay here the full four years because because i've seen a lot of the cautionary tales that you're talking about where they just fizzle out and you never hear from them again or they they scott parse yeah i mean he was he was a, a classic example he was he was a classic example he was a guy who he ended up getting injured while he was a mav and his career just never it just it never ended up it never ended up going to the next level right. and and then we saw some guys with uh, UNO who stayed the full 4 years who were undrafted who went and played um in the ECHL ended up in the AHL appeared in a few games in the NHL and had long and fruitful careers like like a guy like uh, Jeff Hogan so it just it's it's and kind of it's kind of weird how that works out i think for you mentioned that you're not a big pro hockey guy and 
I'm, I'm not, just a big hockey guy in general. So Jason is a um, big pro hockey guy. It seems like every single day I talk to him, he's watching the Colorado Avalanche. I'm like, I could not be an NHL fan. I'm I'm exhausted after the college hockey season following UNO. But this, I mean, it's like literally, oh, the Avs are playing. I mean, it could. I I feel like I could text Jason at like three in the morning, and the Avs would be playing hockey somewhere against some other NHL. I mean, it's like the number of games that they play is. During a typical season in the NHL, I just think it's crazy, and I think it'd be really tough to be. Can you imagine trying to have an attendance streak? (laughs) (laughs) I I know people who did. It would it would be that would be an impressive thing. That would be a very very impressive thing. So yeah, yeah, forty one home games in the regular season. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But um. Something for our fans that maybe aren't, you know, maybe they're in, in your boat where they're not, they maybe only follow, you know, UNO players in the right. NHL. So right, right, yep. They're watching Gensel and Archie and... Yep. You know, that's pretty much it, so... Sure. Um, this year's going to be, obviously because of COVID and stuff, this summer's... uh. It's going to be a weird summer, you know. I, I've seen a lot of people say like last year's draft was was the weird draft. I think this year's draft's going to be worse because last year they they got to see the kids heading into it. So even though things got canceled in February March time uh, for a lot of these players and stuff, like you still had this 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 book on these prospects. And so, yeah, you're drafting them via Zoom, which is just strange and weird. But this year, it's it's going to be harder because, you know, look at the – we've talked about it, right? Look at the, the players that are playing for some of these East Coast teams, you know, where they only got, like, 10 games in the season. And the NHL scouts can't be in the rink watching them because they're not allowed. And so they're watching film on these guys, and it's like – now we have to go into a room and we have to convince our GMs that this is the kid we should draft number one overall. Yeah. And oh, it's, yeah. He's only played five games this year. So, you know, we're taking a, like, who takes a flyer on a, like, a first round draft pick should not be a flyer. Well, you take there, flyers on, like, third and fourth round draft picks. One of the things I'd say, too, is there are certain junior teams that opted not to play this year. Right. And that definitely affected a percentage of players. The ECAC, like, most of their conference didn't play this season. So, you're right. It's been a it's been a it's been a bizarre year. And then I, you know, and I don't follow all levels of hockey that closely, but it's also affected, you know, younger players too, high school age hockey players, et cetera. Uh, I'm sure have been affected by some of the uh, states that have had uh, restrictions that have made it uh, difficult to play. I know that Massachusetts for a while had a, a restriction that you couldn't practice hockey, you couldn't play hockey, so you had players going out of the state to play hockey, and then the government officials were upset about that. Um, So it just becomes a a really difficult situation. So you're right. It'll be very, very interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Mavs. But hopefully, hopefully the Mavs will get to play a little bit more. So let's talk about playing a little bit more. In order for them to play a little bit more, they have to get picked to go into the field of 16 for the NCAA playoffs. Which I think you and I, uh, you know, going into the NCHC uh, uh, playoffs uh, had felt fairly confident would happen. But now there seems to be an overall lack of confidence based, number one, on DU beating us. 
number two on the comments of the head coach of DU, which casts some doubt in the the minds of of fans and uh, the you know college hockey intelligentsia on the interwebs. And so this this is a really really interesting thing for those who don't know. And this was something Jason alluded to earlier in the season in a podcast. And when he mentioned it, everybody gave him crap for it. But he mentioned how a tie this season, there was a new overtime rule that was that was uh, voted on and approved summer of 2020 that went into effect for college hockey this season that said rather than having the five-on-five, five-minute overtime period after regulation, if a game is tied, that this season they would go with a three-on-three, five-minute overtime period. Okay, now as far as mm-hmm. the, as far as your schedule and results in the NCAA record books go, if a team scores a goal in that three-on-three overtime period, it counts in their record as a win. But as far as kind of weighting the teams, uh, I believe their RPI factors into this, it only counts as 55% of a win. Whereas if you lose in that three-on-three overtime period, it counts as 45% of a win. Now, I don't know what brainiacs decided to weight things this way, but that's the situation we're living under. So the argument that DU made after defeating us in the first round of the NCHC playoffs is that the, what, four or five games that we played that went to overtime, we played one, two, three, four, five. Five. Right. That the ones that were wins really shouldn't count as wins because they were only 55% of a win. (laughs) And it's at this point, Jason, where I'm just, I, when I saw this stuff after the game and throughout the weekend, I'm just, my head is starting to throb and I'm like, boy, there is nothing I find more irritating than college hockey tournament selection limbo in the seasons when UNO's actually in contention, because it's like, if they're going to get down to the nitty gritty like that, and the Notre Dame coach Jeff Jackson mentioned the same thing regarding his team versus UNO and Denver, it's going to be a very, very interesting selection. And, you know, unlike previous years, this isn't a mathematical equation. Right. No pairwise rankings you know? this year. so Because before we'd always say, all right, top 12, 13 are usually assured to get in yeah because you always are going to have you always have to anticipate that someone you know uh you're going to take the the champion from wcha and it doesn't happen to be minnesota state mankato and so now you have to take that team plus minnesota state mankato right right that's happened before those types of things where it's like you only planned to take the one team that was actually good in that conference. And now some crazy team went on a streak and won their conference tournament. And so you have to take them and, you know, and so sometimes, you know, you might be in the rankings, a a 14, 15, 16 team and, and you're considered quote unquote, a bubble team, right? Right. 14 to 18, 14 to 19. Those are typically your bubble teams. Those are the teams that may get in, may get on. Depends on if things bounce their way. Right. Right. But now we don't have that. Like now you're in the situation of you're having to make complete arguments about who you are as a team and, and you know, what that means. And, you know, I fully expect that they're going to use some sort of criteria about whether or not the game that they, 
that they are going to, you know, see in the first round is going to be entertaining and try to justify it based on, on them just wanting to see, you know, so-and-so play someone like I go into it saying, we talked about this, right? Like Boston's going to make the tournament fully expect Boston to make the tournament. And because of where they sit and where UNO would sit, like to me, that's a storyline, you know, UNO made their first against Boston now it's kind of the rematch. You get a chance to go see, against Boston again. Right. See, Jason Jason likes really kind of the, in, in this instance, kind of the college basketball model. Because I, I actually, I really enjoy March Madness every year in college basketball. And that's what they do. They try to find intriguing matchups that are an interesting story. Like you mentioned, UNO's right. first appearance at Ben. Or sometimes, you know. Uh, uh, a coach taking on uh, another head coach who was a former assistant, something like that. You could see something like that. You could also see them potentially try to, uh, you know, keep teams close geographically where they are. If there are concerns from athletic administrators about a lot of travel, you could potentially see, you know, more Western teams out West and more Eastern teams out East than you normally do. There's just a lot of theories. I mean, like, like, and, and I, I kept this one, I kept a screenshot of this one from uh, college hockey news, um, Adam Woden, who his prediction is this was just a, you know, a few hours ago, his prediction was, you know, he thought that he thinks that they're going to be three NCHC teams, three big 10 teams, two WCHA teams, four hockey East teams, one ECAC team, and two from Atlantic Hockey. Um, and then the final spot would go to either Notre Dame or uh, the winner of the Bemidji Lake Superior State game in the WCHA playoffs. And that's interesting because I I can't remember the last time in the since the, the realignment when the NCHC and the Big Ten Hockey Conferences were formed that we've seen three WCHA teams in the NCAA tournament. Maybe I'm just biased because I, you know, there wasn't non-conference play and I had, didn't really get to see them, uh, see those teams in action this season. But, and maybe my bias based on historical perspective with these conferences going in, but it's very, very interesting that basically Woden has, you know, completely eliminated UNO and DU from the narrative since there was so much debate and is just going with the top three teams in the conference. He's going with North Dakota, uh, Minnesota Duluth, and St. Cloud State. So it's there's well, and that's arguments to be made. I've yeah. seen people that I mean, not to that not to that extent, but to say like, you know, I've I've heard the argument that North Dakota, St. Cloud, Minnesota Duluth get in. Right. But I can't decide between Omaha and Denver right. and who to take. So just so have I don't take end. either of them so that I don't have to make one of them yes. mad. You're They're exa- both yeah. upset. You're exactly right. And there's, there were some people also who were making the argument that they had five five NCHC teams in there. I don't think yeah. that'd be happening. But that, if, if, if I were to do that, if I were in charge of this and I got to pick anybody I want, what I would do is since, if, you know, DU, if they get in, they would be the host school in Loveland, Colorado. So that's the regional they will go to, regardless of what their seat is. I would have a situation there where I would put DU in that regional. I'd put UNO in that regional if you were letting five teams in. And I'd let them play in the first game. And I'd just let those two teams duke it out to see which one actually <laughs> actually deserves supremacy. And then that would that would decide it once and for all. Um it's it's really really interesting, uh, you know, to hear the arguments, the the overtime games, how they're weighted this season. Um, you know, UNO, we've talked about the fact that they played 17 of 24 at home, and even though some of the pod games were technically neutral site games, 
they had an advantage because they played more home games than any other team in the NCAA. Whereas, you know, Denver played six of the 22 regular season games that they played. They played only six at Magnus Arena. So they were playing someplace but their home ice. So there's just, there's a lot of interesting narratives here. And then you wonder if it's because of COVID and because it's a weird season, if if the people selecting will try to do the fairness thing and be more balanced and let more teams in that maybe shouldn't be in, but because we don't have a pairwise system that kind of eliminates that human element. I mean, and like Jason said, you might have a situation where they just try to make interesting matchups for the TV broadcasts. I, I, I think they have to. This is not this is not a year where you are going to rely in any one of these regionals on ticket sales. This is this is a TV product. This is the two things I'm looking for if I was on a selection committee. I want a competitive, entertaining game, and I want a storyline that I can pitch the heck out of every intermission. Like those two things, that's what matters to me. I don't I don't care necessarily about your record. Like I'm obviously not gonna pick a car archologist to get a storyline, but I mean <laughs> You know, like when I'm trying to decide which of these eight teams fill the final four spots, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking, where did I put these other teams? I'm going to fill out my bracket, right? Here's my number one at this regional. Here's my two, three at this regional, you know. All right, where am I putting these these teams? Because if I can slip them in and have a storyline and a competitive game, then... That's what's going to drive your TV viewership, and that's going to help you in the future. When you know CBS Sports, when NBC, uh, when ESPN decides to pick up college hockey because they're picking up more NHL hockey, and say, hey, you know, maybe we should pick up some of these college games because you know there's good hockey there. They're going to make that determination based on what you do here, now, the, this year. The only concern I have with the Jason scenario, intriguing though it may be, is that I worry that in that instance, then there's going to be a temptation to put in the name institution. So they're going to want to put in a a, potentially like a Notre Dame over Omaha or, you know, a Providence over a Lake Superior state, you know, because those are the those are the names that casual sports fans are going to tune in. They're familiar with. And I mean, I sent you guys in the group text, my crazy one, which was <laughs> I'm picking all the teams that live just like logically have a chance to upset, you know, I'm going to put Providence in against North Dakota because let's be serious. Providence has a record, a history, a long history of coming in as a team that you should just beat the snot out of and they'll wallop you. So Jason just wants to piss everybody. I was just like, <laughs> just piss everybody. <laughs> If you want to know what my NCAA men's basketball bracket looks like, it's every underdog all the way through. It's yes. Jason loves those, you know, five seed versus 12 seed updates uh, or upsets in the basketball tournament that, you know, are oh, fun yeah. to watch. 16 but... versus one. Yeah, we'll do that. 16. <laughs> sure. I will say about the college hockey tournament though, that we have seen the lowest seed upset the top seed. We've seen the, you know, Rochester Institute of Technologies. We've seen the American internationals of the world get upsets in recent years. So, so that can happen was regardless it, of whether you have the top teams, but Jason's, if Jason's formulary is intriguing, I'm just going to be very 
fascinated to see what they end up doing. If they do like like Jason says, and they just try to come up with intriguing matchups from the teams that they think are 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 uh, you know the ones that they want to have, or are they going to keep them geographically lined so they're not traveling around as much? Or are they going to do like an Adam Woden suggests and try to have, you know, kind of a, a, a relatively even split between Eastern teams and Western teams? I just don't know. And again, Jason and I were fairly competent about Omaha getting in. Jason, I don't know what your thoughts are. Do you think that we're going to get in or are you like me? Or are you just kind of like scratching your head like I won't really know until we watch the uh, selection show on ESPN? this coming week i don't i don't think we get in okay so and and do you think that's because of the loss to du and how they performed against north dakota do you think it's going to be a scenario like adam woden where you don't think either of, of them get in you don't think denver or uno get in and it's just three from the nchc That one I think's a tough call. There's a storyline with Denver because of their, you know, streak of getting in and their pedigree in college hockey, but I don't know. I personally I have a hard time saying let's bring in one of these, you know, let's bring in another WCHA team or something, you know, in place of that because the NCHC's been such a powerhouse conference. I Right. I just I I don't know how you can argue that if let's put UNO, take UNO, put them in the WCHA and convince me that they're not competing for a number 1 spot. Right. Right. Like right. take Kara College in there and I would put Kara College in the top half of that league easy. Right. In another if conference, Colorado College. Yeah. Colorado College is a, a very competitive and a very intriguing team. I That's interesting. And a lot of people have the theory you have. I'm I'm going to my gut instinct is Ben. That I, I still think UNO is going to find their way in. I just think that that I think it goes to overall record. I think it goes to their performance over the entire season. Regardless of those five, you know, 55, you know, the four fifty-five percent wins or whatever. <laughs> but they need to change that. They just need to go back to the way that it was. It's ridiculous. I, I liked it better before there was, you know, this three-on-three overtime, before you had shootouts and all that other crap. I liked it better when there was 60 minutes of play and there was a five-minute five-on-five overtime. And whatever happened in that time was what happened. So if it ended in a tie, it was a tie. And, you know, as the conference race went, you got two points for a win, you got one point for a tie, and you got zero points for a a loss. There were no extra conference points. There were none of that. I like that. I like that early on when I was following uh, college hockey. I'd like to see it again because it just simplified it and you didn't have a bunch of this kind of stuff going on, which nobody really knew that this was going to come up this season when they made the rule change. A lot of people thought that a regular college hockey season was going to get played with interconference play and the pairwise rankings. And so it actually might be really interesting when you're playing in a, in a normal season scenario, but it's not, but I'm going to, I still, my gut instinct says UNO finds its way in at 14, 10 and one overall, 
you look at the teams that we played, the only thing that I, I've said that I think could be a, a hindrance is the fact that we played so many games at Baxter Arena. I, I, I do think somebody could point that out and say, well, you know, they got to play a lot of games at their home ice. Maybe that helped them this season, you know? I just don't see yeah, that. Yeah, but you I, could also say they've had to go to the toughest building right. in college hockey more than any other team, yep. and they found success there. So, yep. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yes, we haven't been on the road, but when we have been on the road, we've played well, we we're still competitive. And that's the thing is, UNO has been in every game. So this is, yep. this is the challenge, right? Is like any, yep. I don't think there's anything I say as to this is the reason why they should get in no. or they shouldn't get in. You could easily turn around and say, yeah, well, what about, you know, Denver, you know, they've been, they've been great. Okay. Yeah. But they also lost the Cairo college. They right. also got blanked by Miami. Right. Exactly, and and we. So, which Denver are you? Which Denver are you letting in? Are you letting in the Denver that's got, you know, everything on the line and is going to play like there's no tomorrow, like they did in the tournament, or are you going to get the team that was lackluster and complacent at the beginning of the season? Right. I don't know. I don't know either. I have no idea. And and like you said, they lost Colorado College. We got the season sweep of Colorado College. I know. I again, it it it's a challenging situation. I just I, I don't look... envy their position. It's just I I the crazy thing is is that I don't know that I'm going to be happy no matter what. This is one of those like <laughs> I this is where I really want to make the argument for that concept of letting twenty teams into the tournament. And say <laughs> Jason's the, just no, the Jason's just going the, I know No the play in game. I I know you've heard this. Like Yeah, I understand. Change the format yeah. to twenty teams and say the last four teams in those bottom four teams that didn't win their conference tournament that were, you know, those teams and these four teams get bracketed out. The winner plays in this bracket. The winner plays in this bracket. You know, it's one extra game. You're going to have to, you know, fight it out. And I, I, I just, I'd like to see more teams in, in general, because I'd like to just see them have a chance. The, I just want to see Omaha. I'd like to see Omaha play Denver again, like you said, and say, all right, duke it out. You want in? Here you go. Here's your chance. Well, they could do like the NCAA basketball tournament has done right. in recent years and just have those kind of, just have a play-in game to play for one of the seeds in one of the regionals. And that would be kind of interesting to do. And, and sometime down the road, you know, potentially try that type of thing because I think that'd be interesting. It's always tough. People are always reluctant to do that because there are only, you know, about 60 teams in division one hockey. And this year, because so many aren't playing, I think it's, it's closer to 50 this year. So I know they don't want to do that. I just, my thing is, and I know that this year they're, they're tossing out the fact that they, they wouldn't let teams below 500 into the NCAA tournament. I just have a hard time letting a, a team that's sub 500 into the tournament ahead of a team that actually finished ahead of them in the conference standings. That's, you know, four games above 500, which I know they're going to argue that those four games were only 55% of a win, but you know, you know what I, 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 yeah, it just, it just muddies the waters. And so maybe Adam Woden's right that neither of those two teams will get into the tournament, but boy, I hope UNO does. My gut says there's still a chance that they get in, but the more people talk about it, the more pessimistic people get. But I I would argue, I just, and I think UNO had an awfully good season, regardless of what happens. 
And uh, boy, I'd love to see them into the tournament because uh, it's, it's been entertaining watching them this season, but we'll just, we'll have to see what's going to happen. And no matter what, we'll be back Sunday to at least talk about whether or not we did or did not make it and what that is. Yeah, where they're, where they're going to be playing, what that's going to entail. Did Denver get in as well? Um, did neither of us get in? What the, uh, what the field looks like? How did they allot teams? Did they go with Jason's idea of creating interesting matchups for TV? Or did they go with the Adam Woden idea, which is you know, representation from a variety of conferences of teams that uh, were highly ranked this season. We'll just have to see. I don't know, but, uh, but it'll be fun. And until Sunday, stay tuned to Map Puck on Twitter and Map Puck on Facebook and go Mavs. Go Mavs.